Hello, homies. Like a kid before Christmas, I was counting down the sleeps in anticipation of my interview with the incredible Joette Calabrese. I feel like she needs no introduction, as she has passionately been working for three decades to demystify homeopathy so that the general public can use this incredible natural medicine to take charge of their own health. Homeopathy is constantly under threat worldwide, so the more we can work to get the public to rally behind homeopathy and use it for themselves, the better our chances of keeping this 200-year-old natural medicine alive. Joette has done an incredible job with us, having tens of thousands of members in her Mighty Members group and helping many more thousands with her regular Facebook Live sessions. If you're new to homeopathy, your number one stop for information should be joettecalabrese.com. I'll post the link in the show notes. As she says in the interview, if you are unsure of what remedy to use for a certain condition, simply go to Google, type in the name of the condition and type in Joette Calabrese after that, and chances are really good one of her blogs will come up with some information which you can use to treat yourself and your family with homeopathy. She's written her blog for 14 years, so she has a ton of information available. I also want to dedicate this episode to the legendary Dr. Robin Murphy, who sadly passed away on 17 November. He was an absolute giant in the homeopathic world with his insightful materia medicas, repertory and lectures. I have done several of his online lectures, and he's one of my absolute all-time favorite lecturers for his common-sense approach to health and homeopathy, and his seemingly endless knowledge, which he shares so generously. I wish I could have met him in person, and in a way, it feels like I know him due to the dozens of hours I've spent listening to his online lectures, and the fact that I use his repertory every single day in my clinic. I couldn't practice without it. Before our interview, Joette and myself were sharing what Dr. Murphy has meant to each of us, and Joette mentioned how Dr. Murphy had invited her to visit him at his home in the new year, and how much she was looking forward to that. I know that Joette will agree with me that Dr. Murphy lives on every single day in every homeopath around the world who uses his materia medicas, repertories, and lecture notes to help our clients return to health. I have to apologize also that in true fangirl style, I was so nervous and excited about speaking with Joette that it wasn't until halfway through the interview that I realized my microphone was not plugged in. So I apologize for my poor sound quality in the first half of the interview. It gets better halfway through. So come along on this fun ride and make sure that you share this episode far and wide with your friends and family. Let's create a homeopathic revolution and take back our health. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout podcast, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies. Do we have a treat for you today? We get to hang out with the one, the only, drum roll, Joette Calabrese. Welcome, Joette. Oh, for goodness sake, you're so funny. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. This is fun. We've already had fun the, our first five minutes before we even began recording. <laughs> like I warned you at the start, I'm going to have like spontaneous squeals here and there because I'm just so grateful for your time and so happy to have you on. And I feel like we're two kindred spirits on a mission here trying to empower families to yes. use homeopathy in the home. Yes. But yes. I wonder if we can kick it off, Joette, with you telling us a little bit about how you first were introduced to homeopathy and what's your journey been to discover homeopathy? 
Well, I have a couple of stories and I don't want to make this too long. So I have to choose one or the other because they intertwine. Probably the most poignant that I think many people would associate with was up until about my 30s, early 30s, I lived by taking um, over-the-counter and prescription drugs. It was just my lifestyle. And I had been plagued with allergies as a child. So I had lots of shots, uh, testing shots and treatment shots and I come from a big, fat Italian family, and several doctors are in the family. And so they were always good-heartedly trying to help. But what always ended up occurring was another drug. And so then also in my 20s, I married a doctor. And for six, seven years, he um, basically what he told me to take, I took. And so we had a closet. It was actually a linen closet that was from floor to ceiling, just drug samples. There was no room for towels. There was no room for sheets. There was only samples of drugs that he got through his work. And so anytime I had a little of this, a little of that, I would just take it. It was the paradigm. It was the lifestyle. This was in Washington, D.C. And so I subsequently left that marriage and cold turkey, I decided to stop. I realized I wasn't well. And I knew that um, I didn't know whether or not I'd be even more unwell if I stopped all the drugs, but I knew that the drugs were no longer helping or they had never actually really helped so that it was something that was not too difficult to figure out, but it was foreign to my thinking. There's no doubt about it. Um, And so, and I knew no one else who had done this. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I just said no more. I'm not taking another aspirin. I'm not taking another Tylenol. I'm not going to allergists any longer. I'm not taking the birth control pill. I'm stopping everything. And from now on, I'm going to use herbs or food. And at the time, I knew nothing about homeopathy. And I'm going to see what I can do without. So that was a big, big shift in my thinking. So I started to study uh, botanicals and um, essential oils and um, and in those days, we're talking about the early 80s. Essential oils were unknown. People didn't know what they were. There was no internet, of course. And so we, I got together with a group of other women and we started to study these kinds of things, not homeopathy yet. And we were ordering essential oils from France. You couldn't buy them in the US that I was aware of or that we were aware of. So we just did with what we could. So then I, I subsequently met my present husband and I got pregnant about a year later. And At that time, I was starting to question, how should I have this child vaccinated? Should I uh, um, postpone the vaccines? Should they all be given simultaneously as they always do? Should we separate them and et cetera, put them on a different kind of a schedule? And so um, a friend of mine told me that there was this doctor who was going, who was traveling through the the Northeast of the U.S. And his name was... um, Dr. John Clark. He's a pretty well-known doctor. He was very well-known. He's written books on homeopathy. And he was no longer in practice. He was retired. And so he was uh, uh, traveling from city to city. And I live in Buffalo, New York. And there was a lecture that he was giving. And it was about homeopathy and vaccinations. So I had no idea what homeopathy was. In fact, I, what I thought it was holistic. The way yeah, most people are, you know, home yeah, remedies, <laughs> you know, raw vinegar and vitamin C. So I, I was pregnant. I was about eight months pregnant. And I went to this conference or this this lecture. And there were only about 10 of us or so in the room. And he wrote on the board for every single childhood disease 
there was, he uh, described how a homeopathic medicine was used in lieu of it, in lieu of the vaccine, in lieu of other treatments. So the disease, the homeopathic medicine, and then he showed the statistics and how valuable it was and how it had been shown clinically and even in some situations through double blind tests, which is our, which of course are provings. So I'd never heard of such a thing. I mean, I knew about herbs. I knew about vitamins, I knew, but nothing like this. And he went through every single one of the childhood diseases. By the end of that evening, I bought my first little home book and a kit. Um, and I still have that kit. You know, oh, wow. 19, 1985 or 1986. And, and it still works, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's parenthetically, those medicines still act. I've, I've run out of most of them, but they, the ones that are old are still still act. And then I gave birth to my baby. And um, I, oh, one more step. I had gone to a pediatrician that I'd heard was kind of open-minded. And you have to be careful with these words, open-minded. You know, open-minded doesn't necessarily mean going where you're going with all of yeah. this. So I told him that when my baby was born, I was going to kind of rethink how we were going to uh, address the the uh, timing of the vaccines. And I should have noted that at the moment I said that his eyes rolled for a moment. Mm-hmm. It was just a split second. Mm-hmm. I should have picked up on it and I didn't. And so uh, um, I subsequently gave birth to my baby. And six weeks later, I made a very stupid mistake, which actually catapulted me into the world in which I I reside now. And that is I went for the well, the ubiquitous well baby checkup. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really didn't need anyone to tell me that my baby was well. He was well. He was beautiful. It was a beautiful, beautiful, simple, natural birth. No drugs, no surgery, nothing. It was was as simple as can be. And so when I took him in, I was holding him in my arms and the doctor and I were talking and in trotted the nurse, and she had a little vial of something and plunked it right into my child's mouth. And I said, oh, what was that? She said, oh, just his polio vaccine, dear. I was beside myself. Mm -hmm. I was so angry that no one had said anything to me, that they hadn't read the chart that I had put to that. I had discussed this with the doctor weeks before my baby was born. It was all completely ignored. And it was, I was just one of the many mothers in the routine. Mm -hmm. And so I left there vowing that I will never return to that place again. So a few days later, my six week old baby who was perfectly healthy, got a fever of 105.5. And he, he stopped nursing. And it was, and, and this went on for two and a half days. Now, all I had I had some essential oils. I had some herbs, but I really didn't know what what I was doing with homeopathy. But I had the simple book. It was Dana Allman, Allman's book, Everybody's mm-hmm. Guide to Homeopathic oh, Medicine. Yeah, it's here in my rack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it was the first edition. It was bright yellow. And I went through, I, I had my baby in my arms for two and a half days while he was burning up, not nursing. He would not nurse. He was, he was out of it. His eyes were glazed over and I held him and I read the book twice, the whole book twice. I just read every page. I did nothing else. I didn't eat. My parents lived next door. They brought food over. I said, I'm not, I don't care what I'm going to figure this out. I'm not going back to that doctor. And I found a little passage that discussed the fact that when a child is hot or a person is hot, very hot with a fever, and there's a little odor that the remedy is likely to be sulfur. Well, a six-week-old baby doesn't have an odor. 
you know, they're, they smell fresh and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And he did have a slight odor from his breath. And I gave him sulfur and within sulfur 30 and within about 30, maybe 40 minutes, my mother was there. And so was one of my closest friends. He just firmed up in my arms. Mm -hmm. The fever adroitly melted away. He commenced nursing and that was the end of it. Now that was 34 years ago. And to this day, he still has not had a fever. Honest to goodness, I, I don't think it's because necessarily because of the sulfur, but he's not had another fever. The only fever he had was induced by that liquid that was poured into his mouth against my will. And so that's what got me going. And I said, I'll be darned. I'm never going back again. I'm going to figure this out myself. Because had I gone back and said, oh, my gosh, he's got a fever, they would have given me acetaminophen, antibiotics, the next injection, whatever it might have been. And we would have been on the trail that I had already come from. That path is the path that I wanted to abort. I did not want that to carry on for myself or my children. And so I raised three sons um, to adulthood and never took them into a pediatrician again. Never. Then we, we did it ourselves. And we lived on a small farm. We had about 15 acres and we had goats and chickens and ducks and bees and fish in the pond. And there were lots of injuries and they all got ear infections and they all got a bronchitis or two and they all had strep throat or conjunctiva. They all got and We were not lucky. Some people, oh, you were lucky. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. <laughs> it was just like any other family. We had all of the same things, but I had something that no one else had, at least not very many people. And that was, I had a knowledge of homeopathy and my remedies at the ready. And so that's what set my life into gear. And having accomplished that every year that passed, that we didn't see, we we were able to treat this condition or that condition, I celebrated. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. now today, my children are adults and they love the life that they lived and as children. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to behold. And anyone can do this, even if they'd started the wrong way, even if people say, well, I already ruined it. No, no. Oh, oh, nay, nay. (laughs) That's not so. Because I made all the mistakes in my early, Mm -hmm. my whole early life from the time I was a small child into teenage years into my 20s. And then it was in my 30s that I decided that I was going to stop. But it doesn't matter what the age is. It doesn't matter how old we are and how when we start. It can be done. Yeah, we can turn the corner at any time. That's such an amazing story, Joey. But you know, there's a little bit of sadness in there as well in that 34 years later, not much has changed in the medical system. Oh, it has not changed. Here I am every single day in clinic hearing about mums saying, you know, they forced this procedure on me. They forced that procedure on me. And unfortunately, it all starts the second you go in for that first uh, pregnancy appointment. Yay, I'm pregnant, exciting. And you go to your doctor and then they force this medical procedure on you. Several ultrasounds, several vaccinations. It starts so early on. Antibiotics. And and, yeah, it keeps going. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You have to have, you have to be able to say, I think I can do this. My grandparents were all four of them were immigrants from Sicily and they came not knowing the language. They didn't know the culture. Their first few children at the top of the family were also born there. And then they came to this country. And subsequently, my parents from each family were born here. But I think I had an advantage because my grandparents instilled, at least especially in my mother, to not trust 
certain kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Not that the doctors are scoundrels. I don't want people to get that sensation that I think that because had something happened to any one of my children that I could not handle, you bet I would have gone to a doctor, mm-hmm. but I just, I, I was able to handle it. And so maybe in that regard, I was lucky, but they were all the same things that everyone else I knew was going to the doctor for. Mm-hmm. I prepared I prepared myself and that's what we must do. When you buy a house, you have to study what kind of mortgages are available. When you buy a car, you at least kick the tires, right? (laughs) Why is it that we are so willing to give up our freedoms to modern medicine? When the, the more information you read, the more you realize there are a lot of erroneous ideas, a lot of mistakes, and a lot of scoundrels, there are scoundrels in the industry. And the doctors end up being the retail arm of the pharmaceutical industry. That's the way I, that's the way I read this. And you are so passionate about empowering families how to use homeopathy for themselves. And I get it because my children are 10 and my daughter's about to turn seven next week. It's very exciting. And For me as a mom, having only used homeopathy on my kids ever, it is so empowering. But I remember very well when my son was very little, you know, I was scared. It was, you know, it was very, very scary at first when they have their first fever and they're just little or they're teething and they're just really uncomfortable crying all the time. What can I give this child? And you give them homeopathy and suddenly they're just happy. And it's like magic. And every time you have that little win, it builds on itself and you get to have your confidence back as a mother. So many of my clients tell me they were told things that they had to do this, they had to do that. They felt they had no choice. And I feel almost like as mothers, our self-confidence gets chipped away, chipped away, chipped away until we get to the point where we feel we have to ask permission about what we're allowed. For everything. Exactly. For everything. Yes, they long enough. Yeah. Are they are they sleeping for you know, we you know, know this stuff. Exactly. We know it deeply. And unfortunately, that has been definitely stripped from us. Has, our confidence has been has been drained from our natural ability to find that. Because we as women start out in as little girls holding dollies and taking care of them. And now the dolly's sick, and now the dolly goes to bed. We know this stuff, but between advertising and all the women's magazines and television and radio, and now, of course, the internet and the people shaking their fingers, you should go to the doctor. You sh- What do you mean you don't go to? The- no, we don't go to. The- I don't know. We have a need to go. Well, don't you ha- don't you go for well baby check? Why don't you go? Well, child checkups. What do I need to know? I know. Is the child well? Is the child not well? The child's not well. I'll take care of it. I'll handle it. And that's really where we all need to go. And it's not just when it comes to medicine, although that's the biggest one right now. It's also education. It's how, how, we, ed- how we educate our children. We have to take charge. This, uh, this is our responsibility. It's not that I'm going to be adamant just for the sake of being adamant. I consider this my responsibility to myself, to my husband, to my parents, because they are have given me the charge of now going down to the next generation and, of course, to my children. Absolutely. Joette, we're both definitely very passionate about empowering mothers to use homeopathy for themselves, not just mothers, I should say, home users, whoever are the caretakers. But what do you think are 
some things that you would say to a new home prescriber to encourage them to start using homeopathy? And also when things, you know, because homeopathy has got a steep learning curve and you obviously put the work in at the start when you were sitting there with your fevered baby reading through that book twice. But what we say, for example, to somebody who's new to homeopathy, they've tried two or three or four different remedies for their child's fever or ear infection and it hasn't worked and they're feeling hopeless and they think it's all too hard. What sort of advice do you have for them starting out? Well, let's start out with an ear infection. Children don't die from ear infections. I'm sorry to say, I know that that's not the way it's it's laid out to us, but children do not die from ear infections. And in some parts of the world, pediatricians actually don't even treat the ear infection. They just allow it to um, rupture. And I know that sounds horrible, but it's not unlike when you think about it, like a boil on the skin. Must you treat it? So first you have to have the confidence to know what it is you're dealing with and how far it can go. Can my child be maimed for life? First question. Can my child die from this? And I will tell you that the concerns for a child's true well-being and potential for, for even death is not from childhood illnesses. It's from accidents. If you've got a pool, you might want to, that's where you want to watch. If you live near a cliff now, if you're in, a, if you drive around the city, that's how children, that is the bulk of how children die. It has nothing to do with childhood diseases. And so if you can start with knowing that, first of all, it's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen now, you should be worried. Your children need to get fevers. Your children need to get sick. It's part of their education. And what I mean by that is not only their education to build their immunity, but it's also, and I know that you've probably noticed this too, Eugenie, is that I, and I noticed this many times, one of my children might say, I can't ride a bike like anybody else. Why can't I ride a bike? And they try and they try and they can't get on those two wheels and they can't do it. And then a day or so later, interestingly, they get sick. They get a fever, maybe an ear infection, maybe a sore throat or sinus infection or something. And we treated homeopathically. Sometimes I did nothing, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I just gave them bone stock and some, you know, good water and um, lemonade or something that I made. And um, and on the other side of the illness, it's like they spring into a developmental shift. Absolutely. Now, I've seen when that. the illness is over, they go outside. Now they're better. They go outside. They get right on the bike and ride it. Mm-hmm. I've seen that with bike riding in my children. I've seen it with reading. I've seen it with tying shoes. I can't tie a shoe. Everybody else can tie their shoes except me. Well, they get sick. So if we take that illness and suppress it with synthetic drugs, we are taking away an opportunity for that child to develop. That is, if we understand these kinds of nuances then suddenly illness doesn't look scary. Now illness looks necessary. We don't want children to live a life without a little bit of suffering. Not that you want to instill that you want, you don't want to put the suffering on your child. Instead, you want to help them along when they are suffering. But that is part of the human condition to suffer and grow and suffer and grow and suffer and grow. That is part of it. And when we suppress illnesses with drugs, We are driving the pathology, the little pathology, to a deeper pathology. So if your daughter's getting urinary tract infections and and she's being given antibiotics, I guarantee that antibiotic is going to be needed again. I guarantee it. But if you're using Cantharis, now, now it's very likely it won't come back. But if it does, 
it'll be a lower version, a lesser version. And then if it comes back again, it'll be even a lesser version because the medicine is making the correction. Whereas the conventional synthetic commercial drug is only going to kick the can. It's not even kicking a can down the road. It's more like kicking the snowball down the hill because as it goes down the hill, it gets bigger and bigger and more looming and more looming until eventually your daughter often can end up with a chronic urinary condition. And that is a very sad condition. Now, again, can be treated homeopathically, but if you don't know that, uh, she's in trouble. She's going to have a life of suffering with that. Yes. So, Interstitial cystitis or chronic u- u- uh, urethritis, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We had the lovely Paula Brown on as well. And she told us this story about the interstitial cystitis. Yeah. Um, so tell us how can our listeners become better home prescribers? What tips would you give them and what sort of things can they do to become better at prescribing? Well, the reason that I started out by saying, by giving this information first, is that the first thing we have to get over is the fear. Because if you have fear, you're thinking, oh my gosh, what if this doesn't work? Or it's not working. It's not working fast enough. And we easily shift from one medicine to the next too readily without giving it its due time. Some medicines take a little bit longer. So that's the first thing you want to do. And I also always recommend the book, How to Raise a Healthy Child in Spite of Your Doctor by Robert Mendelson. Excellent, excellent book. It was printed back in the 70s. He knew nothing about homeopathy, but that's all right. He he knew enough about how you need to just relax and know that these things are normal and you're a normal mother with a normal child. And so to get into actually prescribing, if you can get past the fear and you can get into, I can do this, I can do this. Now, what I say is follow the rules. So when I teach on my blog, and I have been um, authoring this blog for close to 14 years, every single Sunday night it's put out. If you look up whatever the condition is, you know, you know let's say it's shin splints, and you put my name, Joette Calabrese, I give you exactly the name of the medicine, the, the potency and the, and the frequency. Fevers, fevers, Joette Calabrese, or whatever it might be, conjunctivitis, sinus infections. And I give you exactly the protocol. It's a formula, essentially. And I urge people to, this is also a big part of it, is to own the medicines. It's one thing to know what to use. It's quite something else if you don't own it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's Saturday night, you know, it's 11 o'clock and you know, oh my gosh, my child has got croup and I know what to use. I know it should be aconitum, but holy cow, I don't own it. No, Mm -hmm. make sure you own the most important medicines. And that's the top approximately top 100 remedies. Absolutely. Now you are also a big fan of the Banerjee protocols and I have a a membership group as well with uh, 770 mums in there. There's a couple of dads, mostly mums in there who are all just so passionate about homeopathy and love prescribing. And they're all huge fans. And I posted in my group saying, eek, I get to interview Joette. What sort of questions do you want to ask her? And uh, a lot of them just wanted to know about the Banerjee protocols and how you first came upon that. Cause I'm assuming you were also classically trained and then discussed covered the Banerjee protocols. Can you touch a little bit about that and also how that's really helpful for home prescribers to use? Yes. Yes. Well, I'd been practicing classical homeopathy full-time for 15 years, and I started to note that it wasn't as fruitful as I'd hoped. I mean, I got results, but they were, they were long in coming. Uh, They were complicated and they couldn't be reproduced. 
So I started to know, I, I studied also under Dr. A.U. Ramakrishnan from India and we would meet, oh, you got his book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You got to have that book. That's mm-hmm. right. It's a very important book. And I studied with him for about um, five years in Toronto and then New York and we and New Jersey. And he had some protocols. And so, as a matter of fact, it, he presents them somewhat in that book. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what opened my eyes. But I also was starting to note that I was coming up with some protocols. You know, it was not that difficult to figure out that time and again, you know, a high fever was belladonna. That is not classical to say that. That is very specific to the condition. So um, I, I, I organized several of them. I was desperate for books on the, on the subject. And I did find a few books on it, but then I was teaching at a local college. I was teaching nurses, uh, teaching homeopathy. And um, one of my colleagues came to me and said, you know, have you heard about these doctors in India who see a hundred patients per day? It's a father and son team and they're curing cancer. I said, a hundred patients per day as a classical homeopath, that's impossible. You're lucky if you can do six. And so, uh, I said, oh, well, I didn't say anything. I'm just thinking to myself, that doesn't sound, somebody must have missed, uh, must have misunderstood the information. Added an extra and, zero there. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then I heard it again a couple of years later. And I said, oh, for goodness sakes. Now the colleague who I had talked to about this originally um, knew the Banerjee. He was an Indian homeopath and he brought the, the Banerjees. They said he was going to be bringing the Banerjees into Buffalo, New York, my hometown. And they were going to be speaking at our college um, because they were speaking at the NIH, believe it or not, Anderson Cancer Institute, Roswell Cancer Institute. So they, the Banerjees did that on a regular basis. They would teach doctors how to use their methods. And so he said, I'm, I'm inviting you to join. I said, look, just do me one favor, please make sure I have lunch with them. I really want to get to know these two, these two people. So we arranged it. We had lunch together and Pratip and I, the the younger one really just hit it off. And I asked if he would mind if I could come to the, go to his clinic and um, observe. And he said, sure. So it took about a year and a half to be able to actually make that arrangement. But, and when I got there, I was very impressed there were 12 doctors, all medical doctors, conventionally trained and also homeopaths um, who used only homeopathy. And each one of them saw 100 patients per day, which meant there were, you know, there's 1200 patients per day being seen at the end of the week at 7200 people. And so what they were doing was specific protocols for specific conditions, which meant that they were reproducible. It didn't matter what side the person slept on or what they thought about if they had long eyelashes. It was all about the name of the condition. What's the name of the condition? Oh, irritable bowel syndrome. Okay. Here's the medicine for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here, and, and we could do that with any of the chronic diseases. And so I sat there knee to knee next to Dr. Pratip Banerjee day in, day out, 10 hours. And some days it was 10 hours, other days it was eight. And then I went to the night clinic and I, and there was a, a train of people throughout the entire day. I did it for 13 weeks, but that wasn't enough. I thought I was only going once, but I went eight times, eight years in a row. Wow. And I sat next to them and observed and recorded absolutely every single case that I saw. And I wrote it down, came home, collated it, organize, organized it, organized my notes, put it all together, and then started to teach it because 
After having taught homeopathy in people's homes and schools and churches and in clinics, um, in the college, every time I taught it, I was I was assigned to only be able to teach about acutes. I could never teach. People would often ask me, what about eczema? Oh, well, eczema. Now that's a complex situation. And that's what people really wanted to know because they weren't suffering from acutes every day. They were suffering from these chronics or at least their family members were. Now I had something that I could teach to parents, to mothers. I say mothers and grandmothers. I realize there are men out there. And I also realize that there are plenty of women who don't have children, but they're a mother to someone. They're a mother to their pets, to their livestock, to their family members, to their community, that we're all acting as mothers because that's our instinct. And so that's what really spurred me on. The moment I got back, I put together a course. And it was very rudimentary because I had only been there one time, 13 weeks every day. But nonetheless, it was only one round. Then when I went back the second time, I did it again and again and again until finally I really fine tuned it. And I collected close to 8000 cases, Wow! which means that I observed and recorded and wrote them all down. I had writer's cramp. (laughs) I went through many pens and many books. Uh, notebooks, writing this all down. And then I put together these notebooks of this information. And that's what I teach on my blog. If it's simple enough, it's more complex than I teach it in in courses, online courses. And now I have our academy that we just launched a couple of months ago. So that it has, it is much more in depth. Mm-hmm. So that is what gets me going every day in the morning. When I wake up, that's, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And you have so many places where people can go to educate themselves about homeopathy because you've written a book, you've got online courses, you have speaking engagements, you have your excellent Monday night lives on your Facebook, (laughs) which is just so fun. And you have your incredible podcast, which I've been listening to for a couple of years. It's actually funny. I had a Facebook memory come up just yesterday of me two years ago, busy pruning the grapevines and uh, I was doing something on the farm and I was like listening to Joette's podcast while I'm busy pruning. (laughs) And uh, so you've been with me for a long time in my ear holes for hundreds of hours. I'm so glad you shared that with me. That's so nice to hear. Yeah. It's great. Yes. It's, It's good to get that feedback sometimes because, you know, you give so much and Getting that appreciation back, knowing what a major difference you're making in people's lives all around the world, it's really good because I know it's fu- it's fuel to the fire. It keeps us going. Hey, and um, you've made such a huge difference. So, uh, what are some of the places that people can engage with you? I guess we'll just put all your links in the show notes. But um, what, what's what's well, the podcast is nice, as you said, because it's yeah. easy to listen to. Now, I used to uh, record those podcasts. Now, I've hired someone to do it, and it's Kate, and she does an excellent job. And she often, we often ask those who have had good experiences with homeopathy and even not so good experiences. We want all of it. We want to know what goes wrong and what, how to deal with it um, to be interviewed by her. And we've kind of put it on hold for a little while, but there's still so many of them. We, we recorded them through the years. So that's nice because you can listen to it on um, and any device, and you can still be pruning your, your, <laughs> your, <laughs> your, grapevines. your grapes. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, and, and making bread or, or mowing the lawn or something, you can still be doing those kinds of things. And then the podcasts are really just for listening and jotting down. We don't do any, we don't, I don't give any particular protocols for that, but in the blog, that is really an opportunity to get whatever it is that's going on, as I said, in your life and just all you do, you can either go to my website and look it up on the blog, or you can just use my name, Joette Calabrese, and then the name of the condition. 
And I um, also give where it can be purchased. Now, you're in a different part of the world. It depends on where someone lives, where it can be sent. But I also have to say, and I think this is important for people to understand, I do not take any kickbacks. So even though I send people to Amazon, I'm sorry to say, it's sometimes it's the only place to be able to purchase it, or directly to the pharmacies, do not have an affiliate program. And I want people to know that because if I did have an affiliate program, I might say, these are all the medicines you need for this condition, so that you would click on it. And then I would make a kickback on it. Mm -hmm. And the reason I make a point of that is because that's the paradigm that is intact in our world today. So I want people to know that because when they see it, they go, well, then she's getting a kick. No, I'm not getting a kickback. So Mm -hmm. that's um, so what are some other sources? You know, you don't even need to go to my website, although you will get a lot of information if you just use my name and any condition, because I've written for many other blogs. I've been in many podcasts. I've been interviewed time and again, and you'll find me in many different um, uh, resources. So there are things that never even made it to my website. Articles that I've written for Wise Traditions, uh, which is the Weston A. Price Foundation's journal. I had a, a column there for 11 years. And um, and you'll find plenty of information just from that column alone on the called the Homeopathy Corner. It's actually, uh, that's what I always feel as well for home prescribers. There's so much information out there. If you want to empower yourself with using homeopathy and taking back your power to treat your family yourself with natural medicine, it's all online. It's all there. There's lots of reputable sources. And like Joette said, just pop her name in there in whatever condition. And we actually found a great protocol that you did for Meloscum the other day because we seem to be having a lot of Meloscum here. Oh, really? I don't know if it's worth worldwide. but For for children mostly, yes? For children, yeah. And we have an area here called Karatha. And I don't know if it's because of what it is up there because it's it's really hot. It's 40 degrees for several months in a row. I don't know if that's why or what it is, but it seems to be just so much meloscum over there. And um, I was very happy to found, find that you had a protocol for that. We have used the Nozode in the past and we've used carcinosin. And Patricia Hatherley was saying uh, that lacumanum is supposed to be a good remedy for that. But yeah, we've discovered your protocol and a lot of the mums in my group are now using that. So we'll give you some and feedback it works. on how we go. It works. Yeah, yeah. But the beauty of the Banerjee protocols is that it, there is no promise that it it is 100%. Mm-hmm. And if you get a hold of the Banerjee Protocol book, in the beginning of the book, it is they explain that in, in the first line that they suggest for a particular condition covers about 85, 80 to 85% of the population that has that condition. Mm-hmm. And if you understand that, it's a very high number that if in, if you happen to be in one in the 80 to 85%, which most of us, of course, are, um, then that first protocol is going to act for you. But if it doesn't act and you've given it its due time, you can go to the second protocol and that's going to cover about 10%. Now we're up to 95%. I completely agree. I think um, even if you look at uh, chamomilla for teething, you know, that's probably going to work for 80% of babies for teething babies, chamomilla, but it's not going to work for everyone. And then you really have to narrow down those other remedies for sure. Right. Part of that is to make the assumption that it is going to work. (laughs) That's part of this, because, again, it circles back to the idea that we have to gain our confidence back. We have to know that we can do this. We have to have it takes guts, spunk and moxie. And some people say, well, I just don't have that. No, no, you have not developed that. You have to build that guts, spunk and moxie muscle. Mm -hmm. 
And it comes from learning and reading and reading and reading and reading and starting to change and shift that paradigm from somebody else knows better. No, I think I can do this. Now, if you're part of a group, a study group, and that's one of the things that I always talk about too, we have a, we have study groups called Gateway to Homeopathy. We have people from, from your neck of the woods, um, from all over the world, and they meet every few weeks and they study one of my manuscripts and then they get to become, they become friends. Now they're online friends and should something happen, they've got each other to help. It's beautiful. It's magic. We have tens of thousands of people who are in those groups. Wow. Yes. It's that many. I never thought in a million years that this would grow to this degree. Absolutely yes. beautiful. I we love have it. about it's 40 fun. people joining every week. Just that, just those groups. I know Incredible. it's remarkable. What a huge support group. That's beautiful. Yes. We, we've only got, like I said, 760 odd here in Perth in our little group, but it's the most beautiful oh, it's a thing great start. when you have, you know, it's 11, 12 o'clock at night. Somebody's child yes. has a fever. You don't have that remedy. And because it's more like a local group, one of the moms posts in there and within five minutes, another mom will come and drop a remedy yep. off to her. And that's what we want, creating that community, supporting each other in creating healthy children and healthy families and taking back our power. Hey, that's what it really comes down to. Yes, it does. It's about freedom. Mm -hmm. It's about freedom to make our own choices. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Now, yes. Joey, what are your hopes and dreams for the future of homeopathy? Well, I would like it to stay because I think that um, our kind of thinking is under threat right now. So I want to see it stay. And so the way we do that is that we do it from mother to mother, grandmother to grandmother and family to family. That's really the way it has to. We have to link arms across the earth. There's no doubt about it. If we don't take this on, it will be taken away from us. I, I do believe that that's a potential. Um, and so I always say, no worries. Own as many medicines as you can. Um, own the medicines that are the top 100. First start with maybe the first 30, then go to the next 30, and then get to 100. And know others who are doing the same thing so that you can build together. And my hope is that this spreads faster than the kind of advertising that's being done and the kind of media that we have to put up with today. And women are great communicators. And I believe that there is, I, I was quite dismayed for this past two years, but I'm, I think there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I think this could definitely turn around. I, I do believe that because people are waking up to the fact that, wow, the jig is up. Wait a minute. We thought we trusted these organizations. We trusted this. This, there's a lot going awry. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I guess it's really up to me to make the decision. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I always like to finish off on a little bit of fun. Your top three homeopathic remedies that you couldn't live without, what would they be? Okay. Um, Ignatia. Why? Okay. Ignatia 200, no doubt. Not 30, not 1M, Ignatia Amara 200C, because it is a mother's best friend when she's overwhelmed and frightened and anxious. And she's worried, and especially let's say her child is sick and she's worried. Now it's time, Ignatia 200, twice daily for a few days. That's my number one medicine. Number two is Arnica, um, not just for injuries. Arnica is a great medicine for sleep. It's a great medicine for, believe it or not, acne, for eczema. It can be used for waking in the middle of the night. Um, of course, for injuries, for overuse of muscles, mm -hmm. great for the athletic husband or athletic wife. 
it's used in the Olympics. It's a very, very important medicine for uh, those kinds of conditions. But it is also used for um, even eyesight. It, the, the way this medicine works, what is written in the Materia Medica is a drop in the bucket. It has such a, a, a sweeping ability. It's much grander than what is written in most Materia Medicas. Mm-hmm. And then my third one would probably be NATFAS, natrium phosphoricum. I like that in a three or a six because it's very valuable for acidity, food intolerances, bloating, indigestion, baby's colic, overeating, um, weight gain. It's anything to do with the gut even constipation, et cetera. And that's usually used after every meal that's taken after every meal. And that can be used for many months until you start seeing some, some advantages. So though, between those three, um, I love that you asked me that. That's one of my favorite questions too. Um, start with those three. Um, but then there's also, there's Arsenicum album and there's Belladonna. There's so many, that's why. Amica, and, and these beautiful names, these beautiful Latin names, mm-hmm. um, because we don't have any makeup made up names. Our names are real. The names of these medicines are the real thing in botany or uh, the periodic table or wherever mm-hmm. it might be from. In yes. Latin. Yes, exactly. Yes, in Latin. And it just shows again, I mean, you are so dedicated to learning your Materia Medica. Like you've just rambled off a few things there for Arnica and Ignatius. That, oh, sorry, and for Natfos that I didn't even know about. But um, Ignatia is certainly such an amazing remedy. I often prescribe it for mums when they're weaning their children. You know, it can be, especially when it's your first and you're weaning. It's hard. It's so hard. Like, it's so hard. And when you can use Ignatia, because it's also for that loss of a bond, you know, that disappointment yes. and grief. And when that bond is sort of breaking, when that child's going off to childcare for the first time, or you're stopping breastfeeding, that journey has come to an end. Using Ignatia for mother and baby is just so amazing. Like, there's not another medicine on the planet that can offer support on that sort of level Without for mother and effects. baby. Nothing synthetic, Without it's not effects, expensive, yeah. it's, it's, it, it all makes so much sense. Yes. It, almost, it makes so much sense that it's almost hard to believe. <laughs> right you have just finished us off on the most beautiful saying there it's so good it's almost hard to believe exactly but yet in your core there's something that resonates and tell you yes this is this feels right yes 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 Thank you so much for your time, Joey. This has been a oh, dream come true getting to chat with you. And yeah. I wish you all the best and just keep doing your amazing work and inspiring all of us. Because- and you keep up your great work too. I love what you're doing. I've been following you since you contacted me. So thank Aww. you for inviting me too. Well, thank you for inspiring me to do this. I really appreciate it. And thanks so much for today.